as I say, Tim's coming to speak to us uh, about the influence of legacy. Uh, and so our reading, which Amelia is going to uh, read for us, is uh, Acts 9, 31, 43. Do we have an Amelia in the house? We do. Good morning, Amelia. Hi. Hello. Over to you. And thank you. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, in Greek her name was Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida they sent two men to him and urged him please come at once. Peter went with them and when he arrived he was taken upstairs to the room all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them Peter sent them all out of the room then he got down on his knees and prayed turning towards the dead woman he said Tabitha get up she opened her eyes and seeing Peter she sat up he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet then he called for, for the believers, especially the widows, and present, presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Thanks, Amelia. Beautifully read. Uh, those people changing names. It's hardly fair, is it? But uh, super reading. Thank you. Um, and uh, uh, over now to Tim. Are you there, Tim? Yeah, I, I am here. Yeah, Tim. Hi, lovely to see you. Um, so I, I didn't give you any warning for this. Just how's it going? Um, what have you been up to in uh, in the time since we last saw you? Um, well, the answer is probably pretty much the same. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> much has changed. So um, I'm still working at home, as are, of course, many people. Um, I don't know when we'll be back in the office. Uh, which is great because it saves me loads of money on travel mm. and uh, I'm uh, still working partly on the kind of continuing ministerial development trying to encourage ministers into a, a culture of ongoing growth and development uh, but there are all sorts of other things that I've, I'm, I'm now kind of involved in uh, to do with the ministry generally whether that's looking at the, uh, the scheme for newly accredited ministers um, or how we we uh, move ministers around churches or help them move around churches and so on and so forth so um, yeah, lo lo lots to keep me going. So on the whole, really enjoying it. And uh, good. Brilliant. Ali's great, I ought to say. She is here behind me. <laughs> good. Ali, hi. You can just see you waving over her shoulder there. Yeah, yeah and they're waving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's lovely to see you both. Uh, and um, 
yeah, hopefully, we, we'll, if you're able to stay a bit later, we catch you in, the, in one of the breakout rooms at least. That'd be great. Um, it's super to, to have you with us. Um, and it's great to hear that um, things are going well at, um, you know, at Baptist Union Centrally. I mean, I guess the, the work that you're involved with pioneering and stuff, isn't it? And really exciting, I suppose, for church um, sustainability and growth. Um, and, and also, I guess, adaptability, isn't it? You know, the, that sense in which, you know, like in lockdown, we are finding new new expressions of church, new new opportunities. And, and, and it'll be interesting, won't it, to, to see what we, we carry forward from lockdown uh, as well as what we uh, are, are pleased to, to let go. Yeah, big questions at the moment, particularly how people are going to help their churches and communities recover um, at the end of, uh, well, at the end of lockdown, as it, as it, I don't yeah. know, not really a cutoff is there, but as, as people emerge from that, yeah. Data, not dates. Um, so, <laughs> so look, um, uh, super to have you with us. Um, Heavenly Father, please be with Tim uh, and speak to us through him. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you. Um, well, uh, thank you for having me back. It's great to, uh, to, to be with you once again. Um, the power of, of, of influence, I think, is a kind of a theme of your whole series that you're looking at uh, today. Uh, the title is The Influence of Your Legacy. Um, what will be your legacy. So that was a title I was given by Benice when she sent an email to me and invited me to preach. What will be your legacy? In other words, bluntly, when you're dead and gone, <laughs> what positive influence will you have left behind? Um, who, I guess, at your funeral will have cause to give thanks for your life and your influence upon them? Um, thank you to Amelia for, for reading that passage, uh, and it would help if you if you have a Bible or a phone or whatever near you. We will be referring to that passage in a bit, so so do get that open. It's uh, it's Acts chapter nine, in case you uh, you missed that reference. Acts chapter nine, and we're um, starting at verse thirty one. But I'm going to tell you um, at the beginning my primary conclusion from my thinking about this sermon. If there is one thing I want you to take away as you consider what your legacy will be, it is this. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just get on and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Work out what it is he calls you to and then do it and let your legacy worry about itself. So if you've got plenty of things to do today, you can now clear off and go and do those because you've pretty much heard what I'm going to say. So, I mean, th I, this partly re re reflects my personality, I realise, but I'm a bit more, uh, I'm not so much of a map person, by which I mean, you know, I don't get a map and work out exactly where my life is going and all the various places I'm going to stop on the way and all the achievements I'm going to make and all the, all the wonderful things I'm going to do and in which order. I'm not so much a map person, I'm more of a, a compass person. As long as I've got a compass and I know uh, which way I need to head, then I'm happy. Uh, it's about getting my direction towards Jesus and ensuring that I'm heading towards him. Work out what I'm called to, head towards it. Let the legacy worry about itself. But as well as a title, of course, I was given uh, a passage, which uh, at chapter nine, Amelia read to us, and, and it's about this lady called Dorcas or Tabitha, depending on whether you're speaking Greek or Aramaic. Now, I'm going to stick with Dorcas. Uh, for me, the name Tabitha will forever be a Beatrix Potter cat. So I'm going to stick with Dorcas. So uh, Bernice tells me in the email, preach on the legacy of Dorcas. 
Well, the reality is that this only gives me two verses to work with. Verse 36 of Acts chapter 9 says that Dorcas was always doing good and helping the poor. And verse 39 implies that one way she helped the poor was to make clothing for widows. And I assume in those days that widows would have been economically dependent on the charity of others for their survival. But it's funny how language changes. If you serve someone today that they're always doing good, you probably picture a do-gooder, you know, a person who's somewhat self-righteous and always meddling in other people's affairs and trying to make things right. But let's take this phrase at face value. She was always doing good. Where Dorcas went was better for her having been there. She helped the poor. She, she made them clothes. She gave them this gift that lent them dignity, that helped them to feel valued, or just maybe simply kept them warm. This is the legacy of Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. So that's fair enough, but you know, still two verses and not much to preach on. We just aren't told much about Dorcas because of course, this passage isn't really about Dorcas at all. At first glance, the passage is about Peter who, 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 who swans onto the stage and he brings healing to this paralyzed man called Aeneas in a, in a town called Lydda or Lydda. And then he travels to Joppa where he raises Dorcas from the dead. So, if we want to talk about a legacy and leaving a legacy behind, why not preach this morning about Peter? You know, Peter's legacy is, well, what is it? Well, in, in this passage alone, it's the, the physical healing of Aeneas and the restoration to life of Dorcas, plus, well, I don't know, preaching the world's most famous sermon, perhaps, on the day of Pentecost, uh, the evangelization of half the Middle East, the founding and early leadership of the worldwide church. If you want to talk about legacy, Let's talk about Peter. Well, we're not going to actually, or not for long, because there are two reasons why when it comes to legacy, we might want to avoid talking about Peter. And the first is this. I think Peter himself would say, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It was John the Baptist in John chapter three, who once said of Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. Yeah, John's disciples had said to him, oh, that guy, Jesus, everyone's turning to him now. And John said, that's okay. He must become greater. I must become less. And I suspect those words of John the Baptist would have been echoed by Peter. If you were to meet Peter and say, wow, yeah, your legacy, man, it is something else. I think Peter would say, oh, but he must become greater. I must become less. It wasn't so many years ago that I, I preached at Alton Baptist Church about the book of Acts. And if you've got an exceptional memory, you might remember that we said that, that the book's whole name is the Acts of the Apostles. But many people have said it really should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But others have said actually the book should be called the Acts of Jesus Part 2. The Acts of Jesus Part 1 was in Luke's Gospel. And then the same author, uh, Luke himself, writes a second volume and he writes what we now know as Acts. And Acts is all about how the early church, Peter and, and all the rest of them, how they, through the Spirit, imitate and continue the Acts of Jesus. 
Because do you not see that this story of the healing of Aness and the raising of Dorcas from the dead, it has strong echoes of earlier stories. In Luke's earlier volume, uh, the Gospel of Luke, he, he wrote of similar incidences in the ministry of Jesus. So uh, in Luke chapter 5, like Peter later on in Acts chapter 9, uh, Jesus is travelling from town to town. Jesus, like Peter later on, encounters a bedridden, paralysed man. Jesus, like Peter later on, says to the man, get up, take up your mat and walk. In, in both stories, the paralysed man does. Well, how about Luke chapter 8, where Jesus, again, like Peter later on in Acts chapter 9, is fetched to come and restore someone who was dearly loved by those who asked him. Jesus, like Peter later on, goes with those who make the request. Jesus, like Peter later on, finds a scene of mourning and wailing friends of a dead person when he arrives. And Jesus, like Peter later on, sends all the mourners out of the room. And Jesus, like Peter later on, tells a dead person to get up. My child, Jesus says in Luke chapter 8 to Jairus's daughter, get up. And she does. Tabitha, Peter says in Acts chapter 9 to Dorcas, get up. And she does. And lest it is still not obvious that what happens in Acts chapter 9 is, is not about Peter at all, but all about Jesus, notice please two details. When uh, Peter speaks to Aeneas, who's lying paralysed on his mat, he doesn't just say, get up and tidy your mat, does he? He says, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and tidy your mat. So in the final analysis, the legacy isn't Peter's. It's Jesus's legacy lasting long after his temporary death because Jesus is still alive and able to act. And the second detail is this. When Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, I said that he put the mourners out of the room first, but he kept three people with him. James and John and who else? Of course, Peter. So in Acts, Peter does what in Luke, Peter has seen. He continues to build on the legacy of Jesus's earthly ministry. I'm not saying that Peter didn't have a legacy himself, of course he did, but do you see how this passage has been written explicitly to make Jesus greater and Peter less? So that's the first reason why we might not want to talk too much about Peter's legacy, because it might detract from Jesus's legacy. So as you think about your legacy, as you think, well, what might I be remembered for? Perhaps the first question to ask is whether Jesus will be remembered because of you. Are you in some way building on his legacy? Is he becoming greater even if you become less? And the second reason why we might not want to talk too much about Peter's legacy, but instead think about Dorcas, is much more straightforward. Most of us ain't going to be Peter. <laughs> not many of us will be remembered in books or TV programmes or Wikipedia articles. I, I don't know if Robert Beckford is, is, is listening in. He might be the only exception among us. But, you know, not many of us will be worthy of a biography. Not many of us will be directly involved in shaping events that change the course of human history. Not many of us will imitate Peter. But we might imitate 
Dorcas. Dorcas was never, as far as we know, a great church leader or a brilliant orator or a clever philosopher. She did not, as far as we know, heal the masses or plant churches or evangelize cities. She was simply known for always doing good and helping the poor. That was her legacy. And let's face it, she would not be remembered in history at all were it not for the fact that she was a passive participant in an amazing miracle. And when I say she was a passive participant, I mean she was really passive. You don't get much more passive than being dead. So an amazing thing was done to her. Jesus, through Peter, raised her from the dead. But the beautiful thing is <laughs> that because Dorcas happened to be the object of this miraculous resurrection, she gets a mention in the book of Acts. And we get to hear of her grace and her kindness. And that's the sort of legacy that we might all aspire to. It's not often that the quiet people get a mention, is it? It's not often that the, the legacy of, of the people in the background is honoured. You know, I, I was pretty proud back in 1997 to get a mention in a national magazine. Forgive me if you've heard this story before. Uh, I was an engineer working at Land Rover and a journalist from Car Magazine, national publication, he decided to write an article about the unheard of engineers behind the design of the vehicles we drive. He wanted to talk about people who spent their working lives specialising in one tiny part of what made the whole, whole machine. So the journalist rings Ford and, and Nissan UK and Land Rover. And at Land Rover, he, he's put through to the director of the project that at the time had the most engineers. And when this director took the call, he just happened to be talking to line manager. So the director says to my man, Gina, give me the name of an engineer who can talk to a journalist about component design. And my boss suggested me. So I got a mention in a national magazine. Um, this is a magazine here. I, I've kept it, of course, I've kept it. There you go, there you go. that's a magazine, 1997, January, car magazine. And when I say I got a mention, I didn't get a mention so much as I was a centerfold. I mean, not like that, but look, there you go. That, 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 that is me and my two page article on how I design roof racks. Let me tell you, I took some flack from my colleagues <laughs> for getting in that article, but really I was delighted. I got more column inches than the director did when the vehicle was eventually launched. This is my legacy. One of the engineers in the background gets, well, not quite to the front page, but gets onto a two page spread. And when I'm sitting around in heaven and somebody asks, did your work on earth ever get recognition? I'll say, yeah, well, I got a two page spread in a national motoring magazine. And Dorcas will be sitting there and she'll say, I got mentioned once in a book. And we'll say, oh, and what was the book? And she'll say, oh, the Bible. And we'll go, the Bible? You've got to mention the Bible, the best-selling book in the history of the world. What did he do to manage that? She'll say, I just made some clothes for people who didn't have any money. It is beautiful that Dorcas's grace is remembered through history. And this is a picture of the memory of God. God doesn't just remember Peter and all he did, or Paul or Philip or James or John. He remembers every Dorcas as well. God doesn't just remember the men. And let's face it, rightly or wrongly, the Bible 
in a story that focuses mostly on the men, but I believe he remembers the women too. He remembers the hidden characters, the faithful followers who because of cultural personality or circumstance, were, were, they were never in the foreground, but whose legacy can be discovered by a little digging. In this passage, those who weep for Dorcas show Peter the clothes she's made them look. Look, they say, look at what she did for us. How many women did Dorcas save from destitution? How many women were able to regain their dignity? How many were intrigued by her faith and found Jesus as a result? You've got to remember, hardly anyone was Christian back then. It was a new faith. How many were moved by her kindness to live more kindly themselves? We will never know the extent of this one person's legacy. And that's my point. Don't worry about your legacy. Just get on and follow Christ. Just get on with the work of being his disciple. I say again, you know, just work out what God is calling you to do, to do then do it. Um, you know, don't worry too much about where the map is taking you. Don't, you don't have to have it all worked out. You just need the compass for the next stage. Uh, where's, hang on a minute, where's my phone? I, I love that song. I took a photo, actually, of the lyrics. I didn't know it, the song that uh, Esme sang so beautifully to us. Um, I want to follow you wherever you will lead me. I want to hear your voice with clarity. Hold my hand and let me feel you take me from moment to moment. That's all you need to go from moment to moment. Work out what God is calling you to do and then do it. And whether your work is grand or whether it's hidden, whether your name is forever attached to it or whether no one ever knows who it was that helped them, you will gain a legacy. And that legacy will be treasured in the memory of God. One of the great sadnesses of the pandemic, and there are many, is its effect on, on funerals. Usually a funeral is, is a time, perhaps the only time, when we note and celebrate a person's legacy, whoever they may have been. We note the small things, their love for their children, their devotion to a certain cause, their uh, diligence at work, whatever it may be. The small things get remembered. And some of that legacy is revealed in the eulogy, the person that speaks on behalf of the person that's died, but some of it emerges in the conversations at a funeral wake or in the cards written to the bereaved that recall the small ways in which the person who has died was appreciated. And it's painful that with the restrictions on numbers at a funeral and with a uh, even greater restriction on the numbers that can go to the, 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 the refreshments and the celebration afterwards as you celebrate their life, you know, some of that opportunity in those reduced numbers, some of that opportunity for noting a person's legacy has been lost. My own father's funeral took place last September. And he was a doctor, a GP. He helped found a hospice at home, a charity in the town where he lived. He was a church leader, a preacher, a chair of the board of a care home. And I guess a philanthropist, many of those who contacted myself and my brother and sister after he died, spoke of his financial generosity in supporting their ministry or mission. It was humbling to hear what he had achieved. 
but I wanted so many more people to hear of his achievements. I didn't want 30 at the funeral, I wanted 120. Uh, I guess I'm taking advantage of this opportunity now to tell you, but I wanted more people there who could have told me the small things, who could have given me a glimpse of just how far the tentacles of his legacy reached. Fortunately, God knows. God knows what I never got to see about my father who was a private man. And God knows what my father himself never got to realize about his influence on those around him. How many patients did he make better? How many families did he help in the dark days of a loved one dying? How many life-saving early diagnoses did he make? How many Christians did he help with his Bible teaching? How, how many church members did he give wise counsel to? I don't suppose my father ever knew the extent of his legacy. None of us do see the extent of our influence on others. But I tell you what he did know, and I reckon Dorcas knew it too. And this will leave you with a task to do after this service. My dad knew what he was called to, to medicine in his case, to local church leadership, later in his life to supporting palliative care. He knew what he was called to, and he pursued that, not for his own elevation, but for the sake of the one who called him. So as we conclude, I want to I'll leave you with an exercise. I'll probably write some notes, send it through to Bernice, and she can forward it in the email this week for you. But can I encourage you to spend some time this week to sketch out what you feel Jesus calls you to? To, to think, what is the particular task that he wants me to do? It doesn't matter whether it's grand or not. It doesn't matter whether it seems unimportant. It does not matter whether it appears to be holy or not. It doesn't matter if it feels ordinary. What are you called to do? What does Jesus want from you? With your time and with your work and your parenting and your friendships, with your money, that's, that's a good question to ask for those of us who are affluent. Will our money leave a legacy behind or just a comfortable life for us and our children? What are you called to? Dorcas, I think she knew what she was called to. It wasn't grand, wasn't particularly special, required just a bit of fabric, a needle, some thread, a bit of listening, a bit of help, maybe some meals cooked, maybe some people visited. But she knew what she was called to and she did it. And the legacy looked after itself. So spend some time and sketch out for yourself what three or four essential tasks or roles you feel called to and then pursue it. And as for the legacy, don't worry about it. He must become greater and I must become less. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for your calling on our lives, that, that calling that we all share, the calling, first of all, to embrace Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, that calling to uh, sonship or daughtership, to be adopted into your family, that calling to, to follow Jesus in all we do. Thank you for the general calling we all share, but thank you also for the particular calling, the gifts and skills you have given us that enable us to serve 
your kingdom and to serve you through our service of other people, through our kindness shown, our tasks uh, pursued, our achievements realised, whether they're grand and recognised or in the background and not even noticed. Thank you that you give us a task to do for your kingdom. And thank you that you recall and understand everything we do and what our legacy may be. So Lord, help us not to be pursuing our own fame or our own fortune or anything like that. Help us, help us just to follow you moment by moment to know what you are calling us to. Lord, we offer ourselves in this day with the people that we are sharing our day with at home, on Zoom or whatever else it may be, we offer ourselves in your service. Even this day, may Jesus's legacy be built up through us and because of our following of him. And in his name we pray. Amen.